Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to the Immigrants Journey podcast. This is our space for growing and learning about Ireland's immigrant populations and abroad. Today, we have with us the multi-talented Milo Dennison, who moved to Ireland six years ago and then moved again to London in this October. Milo is a writer, actor, photographer, filmmaker, freelancer, and other stuff. I love the other stuff. (laughs) Milo, great to have you on the show. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's great to, to be chatting with an expat from America. So tell me about growing up in the U.S. and what motivated you to move to Ireland of all places. Yeah, certainly. Um, so basically, I was born in the uh, Pacific Northwest and uh, lived in Seattle, Washington. And uh, through you know, through weird random circumstance, I ended up working at Microsoft, which is kind of a career that I never really thought I would go down. And in my time at Microsoft, an opportunity came uh, to move to Ireland on the team that I was currently working with. And it was really just an opportunity to live in Europe is what I was after and to have new experiences and that kind of stuff. And uh, I was able to speak the language. That was helpful. So I didn't have to learn a new language or anything like that. But um, anyway, so Microsoft moved me over to Ireland. And uh, I enjoyed working there for a few years. And then um, I met my significant other there. And in the process of kind of deciding if I was going to stay in Ireland or move back to the States or whatever, I kind of made her a deal that was like, look, I'll, I'll stay, stay here for you. But uh, I want to try something a little different and get back to kind of what I want to do with my life. So I left Microsoft and kind of started to pursue f- photography, acting and that kind of stuff again. So that's pretty much the, that's the brief version. That's brilliant. So you yeah. actually got back into the artistic stuff while in Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I originally studied theater, like when I was in high school, in my sophomore year in high school, I did a play, uh, a Christmas Carol and I played Jacob Marley in that and oh, just kind of fell in love with stage theater. It was, it was, I could tell right away, like, this is it. This is what I want to do. The, the people, uh, I can relate to them. I associate with them. And, um, and so throughout high school into college and that kind of stuff, I, that's what I pursued. I, I, uh, got into acting. I had an agent for a little while, but this was in the late nineties. And so in Seattle to make money, out of acting, it's not really something that you could have done back then because, you know, it it wasn't like nowadays where there's web series and, and all that kind of stuff. And your auditions, you go to auditions, you have to actually go in person. You don't send a self tape or anything like that. And it just didn't work out. I just wasn't making a living and I got tired of uh, eating, you know, ramen noodles every night for dinner. (laughs) And, uh, which is kind of what led me to the, the corporate job. Uh, and, uh, and so, yeah, so anyway, so, uh, short story long or long story short, uh, I kind of made the decision. It was like, I want to get back into the the arts and, and do what I enjoy in life versus kind of doing what I have to do in order to survive is what it kind of exactly. came down to. Exactly. And I suppose living in a different country is a great um, opportunity to invent yourself because you don't have the pressures of people that know you. They have expectations. You're in a new place, new people. You can do whatever you like. Well, that's exactly right. So when you move to a new place, and somebody actually said this to me before I moved over to Ireland too, uh, she was like, you know, look at it as an opportunity to like, you know, do you want to reinvent yourself? Do you want to be something, you know, who do you want to be? And it, it was a, it was a good, good thought process of, yeah, when I moved over to Ireland, it's all new friends. So most of my friends in the Seattle area were friends I met at work and, you know, corporate environment type people. And, you know, I'm still good friends with all of them, but 
uh, you know, it's different interests in life. So when I'm sitting around having a beer and talking to one of them, we're talking about the latest, you know, Android phone or you know, whatever <laughs> yes. tech speaker you're into uh, versus when you're sitting around with your theater friends and you're talking about the latest independent film that nobody has seen. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so, yeah, so I kind of made new friends in, in a different field. And so that's kind of what it came down to. What was the hardest thing that you had to navigate through come transitioning from the U S to Irish culture, or was it a culture shock at all? It, it, it wasn't really, I mean, there were obviously things that were shocking. I had never been to Ireland prior to moving there. So my first day was stepping off the plane on a Saturday and then having to be to work that Monday. And so there was that aspect of it, which was kind of interesting. But um, culturally, it, there's there's different attitudes in the way that people interact with each other. And it's kind of a funny thing. Like Irish people are very friendly, especially when you're out at a pub. I mean, there's a pub on every corner there. I, I, I equate it to Seattle. In Seattle, there's a coffee shop on every corner. In Ireland, there's a pub on every shop, corner. And so you walk into a pub and you go up to the bar counter and you order another beer. And the Irish guy sitting there at the pub will engage you in conversation. And even if you don't necessarily want to talk to him, he'll do it anyways. <laughs> and right. we had this experience last night. So I've, I've lived in London now for, uh, since October. And we went to an Irish pub last night. And first time I'd been to an Irish pub in London too, because I'm like, ah, come on, I live in Ireland. I don't want to go to Irish pubs. So anyway, so we went to this pub last night and uh, there was a guy, an, an old Irish guy, comes around to our table and he's just starts talking. I'm like, dude, you're so Irish. <laughs> That's just the way they're very social friendly people like that. Yes. Um, so there is that aspect of it uh, to where in Seattle, uh, you generally only kind of, you know, talk to people, you know, or that kind of thing. And um, so that's kind of interesting. But culturally, there was there wasn't a huge shock, but there's little differences slang when somebody says, yes, you know, that that is in the press. You're like, what do you mean press like a shirt press? And they mean, you know, a, a closet or a, a yeah, cover. covered, whatever. <laughs> And they say, what's the crack? And you're like, I don't smoke crack. <laughs> How about London? Is there any difference between that you find between London and Ireland? Yeah. And uh, that kind of, I think, goes on to that uh, personality thing, too, where um, I find I, I find the stereotype of certain Londoners being a bit snobbish to be true. I see. <laughs> and, um, yeah. And, and uh, we went, when we first, we got here, the first week we, we were here, we had to go, you know, you need to set up bank accounts and that kind of stuff. And we walked into the bank and the lady at the counter is like, oh, well, you know, you need to be resident and you know, da, 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 to, to have an account. And she was just really snooty about it, right? <laughs> and um, and just like, okay, yeah, I know we, we can legally live here. Thanks, lady. <laughs> set up an account. Oh, uh, and and um, uh, my fiance, my girlfriend works at uh, at Facebook, and so when she was like, "Oh, well, I work for Facebook," the lady was like, "Oh, well, Facebook. Oh, well, we have this person over here who can help you," and it was just like that type of attitude. You do get that a little bit, which is kind of uh, irritating, I guess is is the best way to put it. But so, like, so total that, attitude change once she saw that you weren't just some hobo off the street. Well, that's it. it it's weird. Like, they're very paranoid here about people being here who are not supposed to be here. You, you know, it, it, like you, yeah, you apply for jobs. Cause I, you know, I was been doing photography, but I, I'm looking for like little part-time work and that kind of stuff. And in the application is, you know, can you legally work here? Do you have a valid, you know, and that type of stuff. And, and, 
and just that aspect. Whereas in Ireland, you never really get asked that question. Yeah. It's just assumed that you're yeah. here because you can, you know. <laughs> and so that's kind of an interesting thing. I mean, culturally, and especially because I was living in Dublin, where it's such a hodgepodge of people from every country and so many different places that they're very welcoming about that, I found anyways, at least earlier on. I, I think it's kind of changed a little bit recently, but for the most part, Dubliners are very welcoming to people from other countries. And I, I don't know if you've had a similar experience, but like... Um, yes, it, it, here you can. It makes sense that they voted for Brexit. <laughs> and do you think that like their oversensitivity about are people allowed to be here? Do you think this is a response to Brexit that they're a little bit more aware and cautious of people being there legally or not legally? It's a valid question. I mean, maybe as as employers. You, they they need to make sure that they are hiring people who can be there so that they're not then getting in trouble with the yeah. government or something like that. So it could be, it could be in response to that to where they, they're being more aware of it. Like once that goes through, what will happen to them if they have somebody working there that can't, you know, le- that doesn't have a legal green card or work permit or anything like that. So it could be, that's hard to know, it's, you know, since I moved here at this point in time, like just as Brexit was happening, uh, it was kind of funny. We were joking because the most recent Brexit was supposed to happen at the 31st of October. And we arrived in London the 4th of October. So it was like just on that border uh, of the change. And then they've postponed it again until the new year, but still. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would have still postponed it again. It's a bit of a yeah. mess, isn't it? Oh, geez, it's crazy. It certainly is. Um, tell me, what do you think is your greatest achievement since moving abroad? My greatest achievement since moving abroad. Well, I was, as we was, oh no, she's not here anymore. So my, <laughs> my fiance was in the room uh, just a minute ago, but she left. So I was going to say her, but now that she's not here, I'm not going to say her anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> although she probably will listen to this podcast and hear that. Um, I think what my greatest achievement is besides that, obviously that's number one, but let's say number two on the list, I think is the aspect of refocusing my goals in life around what I want to do and what I want to be versus what I felt I had to do and had to be in order yes. to, you know, in, in the States, I, I had a car, I owned a condo. So, you know, I had to work full time and make good money to pay for all that and to do the things that I wanted to do. Uh, living here, you don't need to own a car in London or Dublin. It's, it's very easy to get around without one. Uh, that kind of stuff. So I don't feel as much financial burden in order to have that type of a stable income. And, and just kind of the reality is that you don't, you don't need that in life. It's, 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 it's not as important as people think it is. Uh, I don't know how, how to explain that, but it's, it's kind of, it's kind of freeing to not have to worry about that anymore. And so being able to get into, to writing and acting and photography and the arts uh, is a nice achievement that I don't think I would have done if I had stayed living in Seattle. It's a really interesting point. Mm-hmm. And then, of then, course, the fiance, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Throw that in there. Is your fiance <laughs> Irish? No, she's German, actually. Ah, uh, okay. So, yeah, so it's kind of funny because we, uh, like I said, I kind of only plan to live in, in Dublin for a couple of years and, uh, and then probably move back. And I met her probably six months after I moved there and was not obviously not looking for a relationship and just kind of hit it off. And we met through a mutual friend, a friend, a girl that I worked with at Microsoft was, is friends with her. 
And so we just all went out one night to, you know, pub hop or whatever, bar crawl, whatever you call it. And, and she just happened to be there and we just started talking and stuff like that. And truthfully, she was kind of a B I T C H to me when we first met. Cause I think she just <laughs> thought I was looking for a hookup or something like that. <laughs> and then, uh, which I was, cause you know, that was the, that was that time in my life. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, and then we actually hung out a second time with our mutual friends after that. And, uh, and then, so I decided, well, fine, if you're going to be mean to me, I'm going to be mean to you. So that second time I was mean to her and she's like, Oh, what? Oh, he- <laughs> I like him now. <laughs> <laughs> As it tends to go with girls. <laughs> That's exactly it. So, uh, so it worked out pretty well. <laughs> That's fantastic. Now tell me as an immigrant, what do you think are the challenges for both immigrants and natives as the world is kind of becoming more global and people kind of have to live together with people that they're not used to seeing? Yeah, I think the biggest challenge is people are becoming more nationalistic in their mindsets, in, in my opinion. Uh, and I've seen this in, in Dublin as well. I had a friend and he he's Irish, and uh, we we had you know we were we, you know not great friends, but we were good friends. And he has a YouTube channel, and it, it started off as kind of a electronics review type channel, and it's kind of conserved turned into this conservative right wing, you know, anti immigration channel. And Ooh. and he did a post uh, or a video on anti immigration. I'm like, dude, I am an immigrant, and I think some people sometimes don't realize how many immigrants there are in the countries they live in. Yeah. And I, I think people think that it's a problem when they don't realize it's actually the complete opposite. And it's the same in the U.S. We have in the U.S. right now, thanks to the current administration, a very anti-immigration mindset. And there are so many people that move to countries who create jobs, who create businesses. You look at many huge, massive companies in the United States, and they were started by immigrants. And they hire people and they're in it's the same in Ireland. I, I owned a photography studio there. So one, I'm an immigrant owning a photography studio in Ireland, paying taxes, which by the way, the tax rates in Ireland are very high. <laughs> and I had people that worked for me and worked with me there that that's jobs being created. that wouldn't have been there if, if it weren't for, for me, an immigrant going to that country and in people's attitudes of just anti-immigration attitudes, I think, are growing and they don't, and I don't think they realize that they're, that they don't need to. Yeah, that's exactly right. Sorry. This is a dog barking. This oh. is why, this is why I try not to record in the house because <laughs> no there's, there's about three dogs and four cats in the house and they get on each other's nerves and then it kicks off and like they all start barking at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> It'll stop in a second. I think he stopped. Yeah. Cool. It was very silent. I, I kind of heard it, but it didn't quite register. And in fact, I actually thought it was a dog barking outside of my place somewhere. Until that was behind me. <laughs> so let's talk about your work, becoming an actor, writer, photographer, filmmaker, mm-hmm. and other stuff. You clearly love storytelling, expressing yourself creatively. What do you get out of the various creative mediums that you're involved with? So let's start with acting. Yeah. So out of acting, I get the enjoyment of kind of being that other person. And it, and, and you, it's kind of a funny thing. A lot of people think actors are very extroverted people and it's the complete opposite. Most actors I know are very introverted people. And I think getting to create that character and being somebody else gets you to be somebody you're not. And it's enjoyable. It's a fun, pleasant experience. 
but it's also the, the people that you're working with and, and the, 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 the social aspects of it. But, um, so I think that's it. And you're right. It is the storytelling, um, the, the writing, that kind of thing. I've always been that way as little kids. I used to take the little neighborhood kids and I would write out these little plays, usually based on fairy tales or whatever. And I would kind of put, put on these little staged productions for, for like, you know, our parents and that kind of stuff. And I don't really remember a lot of this. My sister actually remembers better than I do. And, and she reminds me of it. She's like, yeah, I used to take everybody and we'd do this and that and that kind of stuff. And, um, and even, I remember my grandmother had a typewriter and I was just so excited about, oh, a typewriter. And I'd go down and write these little uh, short stories and give them to her and was just really impressed with it. So it's kind of that storytelling aspect of it. It's just, it's hard to describe what you get out of it. I think it, the, the creative aspect out of it, the, the something that's more interesting than if I'm sitting in an office and I just came up with a way of helping a company make another million dollars, you know? good for them. They just made a shit ton of money for their stockholders. Yes. But for me, I got no real, you know, yay, good me. I just took money from people in order to pay these people money yeah. versus the storytelling aspect of it is you, you're, you're, you're doing something that's fun and enjoyable and creative. And same with the photography thing. I would just have so much fun talking to my clients in the studio and I, I would laugh constantly just because you're talking to these people and you're having a fun conversation and I'm not a social person, by the way, like when I, when I go out, I'm like, I barely want to talk to the people I'm out with. <laughs> I don't know. And, uh, and, uh, and, and, and my, and my girlfriend, this drives her nuts cause she'll come home from work and she'll be like wanting to talk to something, you know, like da, 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 da. And I just spent the entire day in the studio talking to clients and I'm like, man, I don't want to talk. And I just sit here. <laughs> Um, but it's a lot of fun too, because, because you, you're interacting with these people that they're, they're not models or anything like that. You, you do a photo shoot with a model. She knows what she's doing. You don't need to have a conversation with her, but with people that aren't, they come in, you need to relax them. And, yeah. and that the way, best way to do that is to engage them in conversation and find out about them and, and, uh, and learn about them. And, and so it's, it's, I don't know, it's interesting, I guess. It certainly is. What do you do when you want to write and you feel utterly uninspired? How do you break yourself out of that? For me, there's two, there's a couple different ways that I do this. Um, one is I try to force myself to write every day, even if it's only 15 minutes. Um, and my, this last month I actually wrote every day for 30, for 30 days, except for one day, there was one day I didn't write. And, um, I wrote, I wrote an average about a thousand words a day. Cause I was doing this, um, writing contest last month. Um, oh, very good. any yeah, listeners, uh, it's called NaNoWriMo. It's national write a novel in a month. And it's a contest. You get nothing for it other than little badges on the website, but, <laughs> uh, you, you get to say I've written 50,000 words. I failed. I only wrote about 30,000 words. So, Jeez, but anyway, so many words. I know I'm such a loser, <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, so, so for me, I try to force myself to do it every day. And if I'm not feeling inspired to work on something I want to work on, cause I do a lot of, uh, articles for various websites like medium and that kind of stuff. And, um, and another one uh, called no budget filmmakers. It's a filmmaking website. So those are kind of the two I big I write for. Um, I like that. No budget filmmakers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, on that subject. Cause you kind of, you know, it helps to write what you know about. And, uh, <laughs> but anyway, so I, I forced myself to be like, okay, even if it's only 15 minutes, you can always 
squeeze 15 minutes into a day. Like it's not that difficult. And people tend to set their goals too high. They're like, oh, I'm going to write an hour every day. And it's like, well, okay. And they might do it for the first couple of days and then they give up. So you set the goal low and achievable. And if I write more than 15 minutes, great. You know, that's really what you want. But if I only get 15 minutes, that's fine too. And I usually do that about five days a week. Um, I I don't do it seven days a week. Uh, I, I, I I shouldn't say that. I'd probably do it more about six days a week, actually. Um, And then the other thing is if I'm not feeling inspired to work on something I want to work on, that's just create a free form it is all literally I ha- I use OneNote, which is a great product for writers. If nobody knows what OneNote is, it is the best because um, it, it saves your rewriting automatically. So you don't have to worry about like with Word where you got to remember to save it in case it crashes or whatever. Yes. Uh, you can take it anywhere with, and you can sync it with your phone or whatever. So if you have an idea, just throw it on your phone, but, and I'll just sit down and just start typing something out and let it flow into whatever, even if it's not with the intent of like, this will get never be seen and never go anywhere. It just still keeps that, the, the little muscle in between your skull working on occasion. It's just like athletes, you know, they, they work out a little bit every day or musicians, they practice a little bit every day, even if it's not writing a new song, you know, they're still going to do their Mm. their warmups, their exercises to keep that instrument working. And that's an interesting way of, uh, yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it Mm -hmm. to just keep the writing muscles flexed. How about photography? What do you find interesting and inspiring about photography? Yeah. So for me, I'm old school. So, uh, when I, when I, I actually did a, did a two year certification program in photography and this was, and it was primarily on film photography. So we did a little bit on digital, but not a lot. And so for me with photography, I'm very anti Photoshop. I mean, I use it because I have to in, in, in business, but I am not a, I will fix it in Photoshop photographer. I will try to get it as close as I can in the shoot. And the other thing I try to do is I try to challenge myself because it's very easy, especially with digital photography to take a thousand pictures and find the one that works. And I see this, I see posts on Facebook from other like uh, headshot photographers and they're like, come down to the studio. We'll have a four hour session. I'll take 5,000 pictures so that we can get the best photo for you. And it's like, that's not being a photographer. You know, that's just playing by the numbers. And, 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 uh, and if I had to spend four hours in a studio to get one picture that looks good of me, like I would just be super irritated, but anyway, (laughs) (laughs) different subject, but anyway, so like I, I, I try to get it right on purpose and I, and I like to challenge myself. And so what I will do, and this is kind of a fun thing that I would recommend people that want to be photographers do is put limits on what you do. So whether it be okay, I'm going to go out and I'm going to take this one lens. I'm going to take a fisheye lens or I'm going to take a wide angle lens or which is kind of, or whatever. And I'm only going to take pictures with this lens today and see kind of what I do because people are used to like adjustable zoom so they can move around and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, or I'm, so what I like to do is I like to take super cheap lens, cheap, cheap, crappy lenses that like don't work very well and put those on my camera and kind of go out and play with those and see what I can get. Or sometimes what I've done in the past, I, I did this a, a while ago, is I'll, you, you shoot with film, right? So if you go out with film, you have so many pictures that you can take. So if you're using digital, you can still set that limitation on yourself and say, I'm going to go out and I'm only going to take 36 pictures. 
So these 36 pitchers today need to be the best 36 pitchers I can possibly make them. So think about that picture that you're going to take before you take it and get it com composed correctly. Or put a limit in like, I'm not going to look at the view screen on the back of my camera after I take that picture. And so you're forced once again to make sure you get it right. And this is people that had to shoot with film had to do this back in the day, but they don't have to do it now. Um, so stuff like that's a lot of fun. I'm going to go out and every picture is going to be at an odd angle or, you know, whatever you want it to be. So I think, I think that's, that's, it's fun because it's forcing you to think outside the box, which I truly believe in. I'm not in the sense of like people say, Oh, think outside the box. And then you're like, well, here's this. And they're like, well, that's a little too outside the box. I mean like, yeah, get outside the comfort zone and get outside the box and challenge yourself. And to me, that's, that's, that's what I love to do. And I think that's why I have so many hyphens behind my name of like photographer, actor, writer is because I don't like to do the same thing. I get bored and, yeah. I, and I want to do different stuff and challenge myself in different ways. That's fantastic. How do you find the creative community in London compared to Dublin? So far, I really enjoyed the creative community in Dublin better, but I've only been here a few months. <laughs> so we'll see how it goes. Um, but I, I was a member of a few like, uh, social groups, like meetup groups and Facebook groups around like, uh, independent filmmaking. And the thing about it there was people were really good about volunteering to help each other out on projects for just for the sake of volunteering to help each other out. Not because you were getting paid for it or anything like that, because you wanted to make a short film that, that you could show to friends or submit to festivals and that kind of stuff. So I had a, a, a really good community that I could draw on. And be like, hey, I need an actor for this. Can you help me out? Or, hey, can, you know, I need somebody to help out with camera work. And it was vice versa. Like, hey, Milo, I need help with this. Can you help me out? Absolutely. And so that was a lot more fun because you didn't have the extra stresses of, like, being paid uh, in order to do it. So it was a fun community. And I did a lot of challenges. Like, hey, you do these, like, 24-hour, 48-hour filmmaking challenges and the idea is you get together in a group and by the by Sunday night, you make a film and good or bad, that's what you're showing to everybody else in the group on, on, on the, the thing. Or um, there's a film festival in Bray. Is it Bray? Yeah, the Offline Film Festival. And I did that last year with a group of friends. And it's a week-long event. And the idea is you go down there, you start, uh, actually, it's not a full week, but like a Wednesday or Thursday. And and by the end, you have a film to show everybody, but you're down there the whole time. So you're all just immersed in that community. And the the town was so accommodating to these groups of filmmakers coming down here. And it's like, hey, can we shoot in your business? And they're like, yeah, come on in. And oh, that's uh, great. There was a, yeah, there was a local pub. The owner of the pub was like, yeah, we're going to you know serve food tonight. Come on in, have some food. And uh, so that was fantastic. Mm -hmm. Here, it's nice in the sense of like, you generally do things for money. So like I did an acting gig this last week, I got paid. I'm auditioning for something this later week to get paid. So that's nice. People do projects more because, and they plan to pay everybody involved, which is good money wise, but it's not, it's kind of weird in, in the support aspect of it. it's a little bit different in, in that uh, kind of social aspect. But like I said, that's so far. I, like I said, Yes. I'm like you're only there. Like you're only there. So for the minute. London listeners, Milo Dennison, give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. A filmmaking community. <laughs> <laughs> he writes, he acts, he does photographs. <laughs> there you go. I can do it all. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, what do you wish, what do you know now that you wish you knew when you first moved abroad? What do I know now? Um, that it's, I guess there's a couple things. One, I think people are scared of it. 
and uh, just kind of the fear of something new. And the main thing I know now is that people aren't as different in different places as you think they are. Like we all have similar dreams, goals, aspirations, you know, like that kind of stuff. And so uh, people always ask and, and you kind of did a little bit too, is like, you know, what are some of the differences and stuff like that? And it's kind of like, eh, there are not as many as there, as you think. Um, so I think that's something that I didn't realize till I moved abroad uh, mm-hmm. is that how similar we all are in certain ways. And you know, just you, 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 the experiences that you have in life are so much more worth it than just staying yes. in the same place all the time. Absolutely. It just enriches your view of the world. Mm-hmm. I forgot what I was going to ask. <laughs> I, had something. That, I mean, what's been your experience? Because obviously you, you uh, are not originally from Ireland as well. So yeah, no, I would totally agree with you. But I think also it's so similar because we're going from one English speaking country to another. If we move to say, I don't know, Denmark, would (laughs) we find it so similar? If we move to Japan, I Mm -hmm. really think, I I really think like being part of the West, there's certain, there's loads of cultural similarities between the countries. Whereas if maybe we went to the East or to Africa, then maybe we would experience more of a culture shock. Yeah, that is absolutely true. I, I think um, uh, we we had talked about possibly moving to Germany, but luckily both of us agree neither of us want to live in Germany, so we're fine on that one. But like you're right, I would have to learn a new language, and and just that the, the culture would be much more intense versus living in you know English speaking Western countries. It's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, what's next for you, Milo? Uh, right now for me, I'm really just trying to see if I can actually get some acting work, um, and, uh, writing. I've, uh, like I said, I finished my, my 30 month, 30 day challenge of a book. And so I'm, and, and, and it's, and it's actually uh, reasonably decent. Um, what I did is I actually added 30,000 words to 27,000 I had already written. So, so it's, it's, it's of, you know, what's the book about? Yeah, fifty-seven, whatever thousand words, uh, almost sixty thousand, and so, so it's enough to be pub, you know, be, to be the right length. Whether it's any good or not, that's really the question. Um, so the plan is to sit on it for the next month and then pull it back out at the at the beginning of the new year, do a rewrite and let a few people read it and see if they think it's garbage or <laughs> if it's worth, you know, doing what, anything with. <laughs> what is the book about? Uh, it's 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 kind of a it's a somewhat contemporary um uh novel about people's desires to i don't know I, I, yeah yeah i originally described it as kind of a, an offhanded love story mm. that's how i was describing it but i don't know if that's still what it is anymore okay it's <laughs> changed as you've added things it to is. it um so but it is in in certain ways i mean uh, the main the main character uh, he's kind of at a, at an impasse in his life to where he, um, kind of doesn't know what he wants to do or who he wants to be with or anything like that. So he's having an early midlife crisis cause he's 31 in the book. <laughs> and so he's having his midlife crisis at 31. <laughs> and, uh, 
and, and uh, so I think that's kind of what it is. So I, I, I know I need to work on my log line for it. And I'm super bitchy about log lines. So for anybody that doesn't know, this is kind of a filmmaking term. So if uh, you, you make a film and people ask you, what's your film about? You should be able to answer that question within less than two sentences, which is called a log line. And so it's like an elevator pitch for, exactly. Perfect. for an entrepreneur. Exactly. And I talk to people about, and, and they're like, oh, my film is so complicated. I can't describe it. And, and I'm like, well, then nobody's going to buy your film. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I know I need to work on it for this as well. So, uh, but, um, but there's that. And then I'm still writing uh, for a few online uh, uh, publications as well. And then, yeah, just trying to make a little acting and then, you know, do a little photography on the side. That's it. I'm trying to, I'm trying to limit myself. I need to force myself to stop doing so many different things Yes. and to actually narrow it down and be like, okay, here's the three things I'm going to focus on. So for me, it's going to be photography, acting and writing. And, and anytime I think to myself, Oh, I should do this. <laughs> I'm like, wouldn't no. it be so cool if I did that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do it all the time too. And, uh, like, yeah. yeah. And so I'm like, no, Milo, stop. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing um, more from you. And where can people find your work if they want to look you up online? Yep. Uh, the best place is I have a website, milodenison.com, spelled D-E-N-I-S-O-N, not with two N's like people often do. <laughs> um, so that's, uh, I usually link to whatever I'm working on from there. Um, same thing, social media, it's always at milodenison. Um, so I'm on Instagram and Facebook. I don't have a Twitter just as an FYI. So if anybody looks for me on Twitter, you won't find me. Or if you do find a Milo Denison, it's not me. Okay. That's fair enough. That's the thing to know. Mm -hmm. Well, Milo, thank you so much for chatting with us on the podcast today. It's been a pleasure. And until the next journey, ciao. Great. Thanks a lot. Cheers, Milo. Talk later. Bye.